Parents, Dr. Phil has a new podcast called Phil in the Blanks. You know Dr. Phil, one of Oprah's most famous friends and frequent collaborators. And his TV show still has a huge impact, creating massive memes like the Cash Me Outside Girl. Fill in the Blanks shows you a whole new side of Dr. Phil. These are all new, no-holes-barred conversations. Dr. Phil loves trying to figure out what makes people tick, and he really gets his guests to open up. He interviews celebrities like Vivaca A. Fox, Kathy Bates, and Steve Harvey, plus expert neurosurgeons and lie spotters. Listen to Fill in the Blanks in your favorite podcast app and make sure to subscribe. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 72, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is Jessica Turner. Beside being a best-selling author, Jessica is a veteran lifestyle blogger of The Mom Creative Blog, an in-demand speaker, and she's built an enormous online community. Jessica lives in Nashville, Tennessee, with her husband, Matthew, and three kids. As always in this episode, I'll share my points to ponder, so you have something to use right away. And remember, parents, don't just download episodes, click subscribe, because when you do that, you are joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribe list. I promise you won't regret it. And I'd love for you to write a review on iTunes. Let me know what you think of these episodes. Also, not only are we on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcasts, subscribe today. Friends, do you get sick and tired of hearing your kids argue, of kids not listening to you? Do you feel sometimes that life as home is kind of out of control? I get it. My husband and I raised four kids and now we have five grandkids. And I encourage you to check out my new course, Discipline with Courage and Kindness. It's on my website, Let's Bring More Order more fun back into your relationship with your kids. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 72. Stay with us. Friends, I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Jessica Turner. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on Parenting Great Kids. It's delightful to have you and I'm anxious to talk about your brand new book. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. You know, when I saw the title of your book, I thought, oh, there we go, stretched too thin. You know, and sometimes as a, a working mom, of course, my kids are grown and gone now, but as a working grandmother with grandchildren in my city, sometimes you just feel like you've been pounded out like a pancake and you just think there's nothing left of me. So I'm so grateful you wrote this book. You know, whether women work outside the home or not, I think every mother relates to being stretched too thin. So what 
was or is your goal with your book, Stretch Too Thin? So the subtitle is How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter, and Thrive. And as a working mom myself, I work full-time in corporate America, and I realized that there weren't many resources specifically geared toward my experience of juggling home and family and a marriage and a career. And so I really hope that women who pick up the book will feel seen and that they will see themselves in the pages of the book and that they will be able to make practical steps to maybe make some changes so that they feel at least a little less stretched too thin and more satisfied and thriving in their current situation. You know, I would like to clarify, this has been my vantage. You know, every mother is a working mother. Some of them get paid and some don't. And what I have experienced is that mothers who don't work outside the home still feel stretched too thin because their work is making sure their kids are okay. Um, and even mothers who are home full time kind of aren't home full time. I mean, they're, they're just... Every mother is so busy. So I want to encourage every mother, whether she's working outside the home or not, to read the book because there's something for every mother in there. You open your book by asking women to evaluate what you say is their present. Um, and you even have charts for moms to fill out. You talk about, you know, looking at how much time are you spending at work? How much time are you with the kids? Um, what time are you spending on your marriage? And you talk about something very interesting that you refer to as our mental load. What do you mean by this? So mental load is a relatively new term to describe the invisible job of remembering and noticing things. So every mom who reads the mental load section says, oh my goodness, there's a name for what I've been feeling. So it's remembering it's time to get a flu shot. It's remembering we got to get light bulbs. It's doing the grocery shopping. It's paying the electric bill. All of those things. And that responsibility primarily falls on women. And it is taxing. And it's an additional job in addition to whatever else they're doing. You know, it really does. And, and studies about, you know, work-life balance and homework balance um, all show that the majority of women who are working outside the home still carry the lion's share of the work at home and child care. And I understand this. I think part of this is because we want to do it. You know, we're natural nurturers. We want to spend more time with our kids. We are proud of our homes and want to create a certain feel in our homes. And so I, I, I get this, you know, as one who's been through this and is now watching my daughter's work and they have children, I really encourage them to push on their husbands a little more because I think that women don't naturally sort of say to their husbands, okay, now it's your turn. I think they're getting better about it, but a lot of women feel guilty asking for help. Is that your experience? That's not my personal experience, um, but that is the experience of a lot of the women that I surveyed. So I surveyed more than 2,000 working moms for the research for the book. And that was what a lot of women cited, that they feel guilty asking for help. I don't really ever feel guilty asking my husband <laughs> for help. Um, but it's true that to reduce that mental load, it's very easy when you start asking for help for those things. Now, that little list is still running in your head, but it is easier to get it out of your head if you ask for some support at home, if you're fortunate to be married and have you know somebody else with you who can carry that for you. It's certainly a lot more difficult for single moms. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's very much different, um, you know, for single moms because I think the burden on them is, you know, really at times overwhelming. Now, you, we have our mental load, which is the stuff that we need to do. But what about what I call, you know, the, the mental list, our ongoing list of things that we as mothers um, in the workplace and out of the workplace. I think we have a list for each of all those things that we should do in order to be um, a great employer or employee. Um, in my case, it was I want to be a top physician, but at the same time, we have that list of what we should do as mothers. And one of the things I har- I think that's really hard on this generation of mothers that I really didn't experience is that this list mothers put in their heads about all the things they need to be for their children, and it's exhaustive. You know, you need to take the right prenatal vitamins, you need to buy the right crib, buy the right stroller, you know, figure out whether your kids should or shouldn't get immunizations, what doctor to choose, you know, what sports, what preschool, you know, what foods, what foods not to, does your have a child have allergies, do they not? And it just seems like this um, list never ends. Did any of the women that you talk to talk to you about this list they have in their minds that of the shoulds um, that they feel they need to do? I talk about in the book not to over should yourself because I think that for some women, they do have this list going of all of the things that are required, quote unquote, that they do to be a quote unquote good mom when really most of those things are nice to do's, not need to do's. And so that's what I really encourage women to do is think about what are the need to do's in your life versus the nice to do's and be okay with sometimes letting those nice to do's go and be comfortable with good enough is good enough because most of the time it is. It is. But I think that it's really, really hard for mothers because one of the things that I found with mothers that they're very, very competitive. And if you see your, and and they don't necessarily know it. I don't mean competitive in a bad way or a mean way, but we look at our friends and we say, well, she's doing that for her kids and her kids are in two sports and my kid is in one sport. I don't want my child to fall behind or, you know, she's cooking better meals than I am or, you know, whatever. Um, How do moms really break free of this should? Because I think this is a real problem for mothers, this sense that they feel they need to kind of keep up with other mothers and to really be able to let go and say, um, you know, they're all doing that, but that's not what I'm going to do with my kids. And, and many mothers who I think try to do that feel very lonely and isolated. So how do you encourage mothers to say, you know what, I'm comfortable being the mom that I am and I'm comfortable letting go and I'm comfortable, you know, after dinner doing crafts with my kids rather than taking them to downhill ski practice. So I'm going to say two things about that. The first is that I think a lot of this comes from feelings of comparison. And I think that comparison today is often bred by social media. And we are looking at everybody else's highlight reels and comparing it to our own middle 
right? Like nobody is showing the messy kitchen on social media. They're showing their beautifully redesigned brand new kitchen when nothing has been put in the sink yet, right? But yet we think, Mm -hmm. oh, that's how they're living. I'm not a good mom because my kitchen isn't like that. When that is not true. And and honestly, nobody is saying that you're not a good mom. That is something that is very self-imposed. And so that could be a whole nother podcast about how we self-talk to ourselves and how do we change the way we speak to ourselves. The other thing that has been really helpful for myself and a lot of women that I speak to is the idea that we are juggling a lot of balls, but that those balls are two different types of balls. There's glass balls and there's rubber balls. And I think so often we get confused and we treat things like rubber balls when they should be glass. And we treat things that really should be rubber balls as if they're... we. Are you with me? I think I stumbled over that. We treat rubber balls as glass and we treat glass as rubber, right? And so we Mm -hmm. have things mixed up. And so, for instance, we treat ourselves like we're rubber balls and that it's going to be fine if I push off that doctor's appointment. It's going to be fine if I skip that dentist appointment. I don't need to get as much sleep. And we just keep pushing our own needs aside and we're glass balls. And if we keep doing that, we're going to crack. We're going to crack and eventually we're going to break. The same with our home. We sometimes treat our home like it's a glass ball when that's a rubber ball. It's okay if your laundry doesn't all get done. It's okay okay if the mantle doesn't get dusted. What's not okay is to not be investing in your kids, right? Because your kids are another glass ball in your life. And I think looking at life through the lens of, is this a glass ball that if I drop it, it will crack or it will break? And is this a rubber ball that it will bounce back? It'll be okay if I come back to it. It's going to be the exact same. Has really been life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. So give us some examples, some concrete examples of glass balls versus rubber balls. You gave us a few, but can you expound on that? Sure. I think that we often treat our work as a glass ball, meaning that if we don't complete the task list 100% today, that you know something bad is going to happen. And a lot of times it's just changing the boundaries and expectations. And that work really is a rubber ball, you know, that we can come back to it. It isn't more important than our families. It isn't more important than ourselves. Um, I had a health situation this year and had to have a pretty major surgery and was out of work for six weeks. And I tried to put that off and put that off. And I was in pain every single day. And my work absolutely suffered because I was in pain, right? So I wasn't Mm -hmm. running at full capacity in the work that I was doing. And I thought, oh, it's better off for me to wait to do this. And so um, I think it's just a change in philosophy. And it's recognizing, you know, think to the end of your life, what's going to really matter. It's the people that are around you. And so really Mm -hmm. pouring your energy and focus into those things and recognizing the other things are important, but they are not mission critical. Yeah. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I remember uh, when I was a young physician and I decided to take three or four years off to be with my kids when they were young. And I'll never forget many of my colleagues saying, don't you dare, don't you dare, you'll rue the day that you quit because if you try to go back, it's not going to work. Well, I said, I don't care. (laughs) And I took the time off anyway. And I'll tell you something, getting back into it, took me probably two weeks to remember everything. It's like riding a bike, you know, live your own life, but also to realize work is work is work. And another thing that I've realized too, as a mom who um, now doesn't have kids at home, there are so many years ahead of you that you can work as hard as you want when your kids aren't around. And we forget about that. We feel like we need to get everything done 
But, you know, Jessica, one of the things that I've, the perspective I've gained um, after having gone through this is, you know, we we working moms feel like we need to get everything just right in our 30s and everything just right in our 40s. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you hit your 50s, your kids are grown and gone, and you can work for 20 years as hard as you want to. I'm just trying to reinforce the point you're trying to make, which is, you know, your work can be a lot more flexible than you think it can be. And I know that a lot of moms are afraid, well, you know, if I leave my job, can I go back? Or if I scale down in my work or, you know, we feel like we need to keep performing, performing. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure. But to just hold that more loosely and say, you know, my relationships with my family far outweigh my work in significance um, of my life. So I, I, I love that point that you're making, that work really is a rubber ball. I think it's a great analogy. Thank you. Yeah, it, it it's hard to be okay with that, I think, for a lot of women. Or it's hard to say, no, this isn't going to be the same. I must do this as it is right now. But I think when you take a step back, it can really be life-altering. Absolutely. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. Um, you talk to mothers about setting themselves up for success. What are the keys that you talk about in accomplishing this? I think it depends on the area. But in general, you want to goal set where you want to go and you want to have accountability then for those goals. And if you do those two things, really sit down and I go through a system for goal setting, but set some goals both at home, in life in general, at work, you can do this and then remain focused on those goals and it will really help you to use your time better, to have satisfaction, to have energy, because you're working toward those things. And then having the accountability of someone else who can cheerlead you on and give you a good kick in the pants when necessary (laughs) really makes a difference as well. It does. And so you talk about, you know, writing those goals down. What are your goals for work? What are your goals for yourself? What are your goals for your marriage? What are your goals for your kids? And I think that's so smart because it really helps bring clarity in our minds. And it does. And I think the idea of having a friend or a spouse or somebody who kind of holds your feet to the fire and said, are you really doing this? You know, many women that I've talked to say, talk to say, you know, there's a list of things that I just have to do during the day. These things can't change and I'm stuck. I'm stuck being busy. Are moms really stuck? I don't think they usually are. And I really encourage women to go on stretchtothinbook.com and download the time tracker that's on there. And it's a week-long exercise where you track all the ways you're spending your time for the week. And this is everything from work to drop-off at school or soccer practice to the laundry and making dinner and kid baths, whatever it is, all of the things for the week. And it becomes a really eye-opening experience for women to see where their time is actually going because in the work week, you're only working at most, most women 40 hours. And there's a lot of additional time that you have in your day. How are you spending that time? What are you 
spinning your wheels doing? And are all of those things absolutely necessary? I'd like to say to women that you will never regret saying no, but you will often regret saying yes. And for a lot of women, when they track their time for a week, they see one or two things on that calendar that they didn't really enjoy doing, that they maybe got guilted into doing it, or they said yes because they thought they should, not because it was something they were passionate about or gifted in. And I think stepping back and saying, you know what, I shouldn't have said yes to that. How can I get that off my plate can be really freeing and give women more time than they think they have. Boy, that's one of my big faults is saying yes, because there's so many wonderful things out there I feel need to be done. And if you can do them, you say, well, why not? And, and you do, you end up regretting saying yes. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Jessica Turner. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Jessica Turner. Friends, did you know that one out of two kids don't get enough calcium, vitamin D, and potassium? Make sure your kid isn't one of them. One simple way, three servings of real milk a day. The American Academy of Pediatrics encourages dairy milk at most meals and water in between. Serve milk at mealtimes to ensure children get the vital nutrients they need. Milk is naturally nutrient-rich, and it's a good source of high-quality protein for your muscles. Calcium and vitamin D to strengthen bones and B vitamins for energy. Milk has nine essential nutrients kids need with a taste they love. Milk gives kids nutrients they need to grow strong and helps them recharge. But it's also a part of the moments that make us press pause on the day-to-day craziness of life. The moments that make us happy. Friends, I believe strongly in giving kids over the first year of age milk. It's nutrient-rich. It's a wonderful food for kids. It's high in vitamin D and calcium. And I made sure that when my kids were growing up, they had milk every day. And now, with my five grandchildren, once they hit one year of age, I make sure that they get plenty of milk in their daily diet. You just can't replace milk for its nutrients and all of the good stuff it has in there for every child. Learn more at MilkLife.com. That's MilkLife.com. Parents, whether you're on a first date or at a job interview, you want to look your best. And that starts with your skin. Unfortunately, there are so many products out there that it's hard to know if what you're buying is right for you. Beauty by Design is the perfect solution. Here's how it works. Take a quick skin survey, snap a selfie, and voila! For a small diagnosis fee, an esthetician will curate a personalized skincare routine specifically for you, your skin, and your concerns. It's like having your own skin concierge. Beauty by Design has over 100 products and 250 plus natural performance ingredients that are vegan, cruelty-free, paraben-free, and sulfate-free. There are no obligations. Order products if and when you want, and shipping and returns are free. Friends, I use Beauty by Design, and one of the things that I love is that it's really tailor-made for my skin. 
part of my face is oily and other parts are very dry. Plus, I have very sensitive skin. So Beauty by Design is a great solution for me. You have to try it. To experience the world's most personalized skincare, go to beautybydesign.com slash Meg and use promo code Meg today. First-time customers will get 20% off. That's beautybydesign.com slash Meg and use promo code Meg for 20% off your first purchase. Using millions of real women's measurements, 3rd Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind for an impeccable fit and incredible feel. Just answer a few simple questions from 3rd Love's Fit Finder quiz to find your perfect fit. 3rd Love offers double the number of sizes that most brands offer. Cups A through H, bands up to 48. And with lightweight memory foam cups, straps that won't slip, and tagless labels, you'll want to wear these soft and breathable bras and underwear every day. Especially the new cotton t-shirt bras and underwear. But thanks to the 100% fit guarantee, returns and exchanges are free and easy. Ladies, I wear Third Love underwear and I can't tell you how comfortable it is. Straps don't dig into you and the bras don't move around. You have to try Third Love bras and underwear. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Meg now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Meg for 15% off today. In chapter three, you talk about something really important, which is sort of looking within ourselves and looking at our feelings. Um, you know, a lot of women feel self-doubt, guilt, insecurity, fear, exhaustion, and worry. You know, the list goes on. So talk to us about how we really let go of many of those destructive feelings. Because I think it isn't just the amount of work we're doing. But what really exhausts us are those negative constant tapes in our head. You shouldn't. Um, I'm afraid. I'm worried. Um, I'm not good at this. And I think that's kind of what tips us over the edge. So how do we let go? I think the first step is to become self-aware of what those feelings are that we're experiencing. Because when we can just see their presence, we can then make a change whether that's to cope with that feeling or to turn that feeling on its head into something different, like changing our feelings of comparison to celebration, feelings of jealousy to gratitude. And so I think having a self-awareness of, man, I have been feeling really guilty and being really hard on myself, list off the things that you're doing well celebrate all of those wins that you've had in the week because there definitely are wins too. It's not all bad stuff. And then, you know, I think move forward to give yourself permission, permission to be yourself and to be your unique personality. I think every one of us was uniquely created to be our kid's mom. And so be willing to really lean into who you are and stop keeping Mm -hmm. score. That's another big one. You know, we have this running list in our heads of here's what my friend Sally did instead of 
paying attention to just your own story. Focus on what matters to you instead. You know, a lot of mothers worry, say, well, okay, I I can let go of my comparison of com- comparing myself with Sally. But if, if I let go of that, are my kids going to be okay? Because that will mean my kids will do less and are they going to be okay? To which I say, absolutely. They're going to, they're going to feel a whole lot better. You know, the other thing is if one of the things I love about this chapter, we really pay attention to what we're saying to ourselves and, you know, the self-flagellation and how we kind of beat ourselves up in our mind is to ask ourselves, would we speak to our daughter that way? You know, would we speak Mm -hmm. to our best friend that way? Absolutely not. So why are we talking to ourselves that way? It's habit. You know, it, it just is a habit. And can we break that habit? I know that I have asked my husband if he hears me speaking negatively about myself. You know, if I say, oh, I'm so stupid, I forgot to do X, Y, Z, that he will call me on it so that I become aware of it, right? To cultivate that awareness. I think too, as my kids have gotten older, I have really begun to appreciate how they are sponges and they are paying attention Mm -hmm. to what you're saying, to how you're behaving. And so I think that has also helped me to not behave in that way and, and speak those types of things aloud. You know, that's a great point because if our kids are hearing us constantly beating ourselves up, we're teaching them how to treat themselves, and that's a horrible thing to do. So I, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, in addition to balancing many things, you discuss practicing self-care. You know, when I first read that chapter, I thought, oh, gosh, there's one more thing to do. But... You can do it. So tell us how we do it. And it isn't just that you can do it, but it is critical that you do it. The way that you are going to be the best wife, the best mom, the best coworker, the best friend is if you are at your best. And the only way that you can be at your best is by practicing self-care. It really is that analogy of the oxygen mask, right? That you've got to put on your own oxygen mask before you can take care of the person next to you. And so this is a really comprehensive look at taking care of yourself. It isn't just about massages and manicures. It's about taking care of your body, getting enough sleep, getting exercise, drinking water, you know, really listening to the dialogue in your head and taking care of yourself mentally and spiritually because all of these things impact who you are and how you're going to behave to other people around you. Well, and they impact your kids enormously because mothers set the tone in the home Usually, you know, it's not the dad. Just usually we're there more, as we talked earlier, we're, you know, doing more of the work with the kids and around the home. And if we're anxious and we're unhappy and we're always barking at everybody because we're so exhausted, makes life miserable for our kids. And I'm constantly saying this to the moms in my practice. You have to take care of yourself because truly the old adage, happy moms make happy kids is absolutely true. You know, I believe as, as you do that God wants us to enjoy life and to live with less stress. If God were to walk into our daily lives and to just speak to us and we could see him, what do you think he would say to us regarding the busyness in our lives? I think he would probably speak to the need to do versus the nice to do that we talked about earlier. And, you know, I always go back to Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And so often we camp on the love your neighbor and helping people, which is well and good. But the as yourself is what really sticks out to me, that the only way 
you're going to love well is if you are loving in the same manner you are treating yourself. So if you aren't treating yourself well, that's the benchmark for how well you're going to treat everyone else around you. And you're not talking about being a narcissist no. or a selfish, <laughs> selfish person. You're talking about um, you're talking about just really taking good care of yourself so that you have more to give other people. Right. And I just wanted to drive that home because there's some moms who go, I'm not going to do that. You know, God tells me to, you know, pour myself out for everybody else. But if you don't have anything to pour out, you're everybody is pretty miserable. Um, let's talk about work for a second. And you talk about finding a good rhythm at work. What are some practical ways that moms who work outside the home can really embrace rhythm at work and make work work well for them. Sure. Well, I think working outside the home or working from home, these principles are going to be the same. You know, recognizing the value of your work is, I think, really important and grounding for working moms. And that extends to not only the financial benefits, which frankly is a, a big reason why a lot of us work, but the opportunity to use our talents and cultivate meaningful friendships and have a place where you can interact with other adults, you know, serving others through the type of work that you do. It also has such a positive impact on our kids. There was this study that was done by the Harvard Business School that said that women whose moms work outside the home, they are more likely to grow up and have jobs themselves and have supervisor responsibility, which I thought was really compelling. For boys, they are more likely to contribute to household chores and spend more time caring for family members if they had a working mom. So I think there's really compelling data that says that this is benefiting our kids, not just by putting food on the table, but actually who they're going to grow up to be. Do you differentiate between working part-time, full-time, overtime? Because, you know, some moms work 20 hours a week, some 40, and some 60. So does this apply to work, whether you're doing it part-time or full-time? I think absolutely it does. The book, Stretch Too Thin, was written for any mom who is adding in some sort of paid responsibility in addition to her other responsibilities at home and with her family. So whether that's full-time or part-time at home or in an office or in a retail setting or anything in between, there's going to be application here. And that's who are the people that I talked to for the data and who I was really thinking about as I wrote the book. You know, and I think the point is really great is that we need to make work work for us. You know, we're not really a slave to the work that we do outside the home, though a lot of times we feel like that. We feel we, we owe a lot of people but in the workplace. But I think it's really important to shift our perspective and say, you know, we can be in charge of this and we can set boundaries and we can um, shift things around so that we make our lives work for us. In the, in the few minutes that we have remaining, I'm always sensitive to moms who may be listening who are single moms. And, you know, at this moment that they're listening, they just feel overwhelmed and they feel guilty and they're kind of beating themselves up. And many single moms go, you know, I'm just not going to make this. I'm just about ready to collapse. So what encouragement would you have for that mom who's feeling that way right now? I would encourage her to ask for help from her community. 
I think that we sometimes feel afraid to ask for help or we feel like we've maybe leaned on people too much. And I don't think that for the most part that is the case. And so I would say, what is an area that you're struggling in and how can a friend come in and help you? I know when my husband was traveling overseas for a month and I had three kids, including a baby that I was nursing and I was working 40 hours and was really overwhelmed. And I had a friend call me out of the blue and she said, I'm going to come over tonight and be an extra set of hands for you. And whether that means you want to go and run to the grocery store or run some errands, or I can fold some laundry for you, I can bathe your kids, whatever it is, I am going to be there for you. And I felt so seen and so supported in that moment, but I didn't want to ask for that help myself. It took a friend coming in and saying, I'm just going to show up. So mm-hmm. That isn't something that happens all the time, though. And so sometimes we need to say, yes, I need help. And don't be afraid to ask for help because I I believe that there are probably people in your life who want to come alongside you and support you. They just don't know how and they don't know what you'd be willing to receive. You know, women are in general so good about doing that. You know, we can step into another friend's shoes and say, you know what, let me just come in your house and take over for a couple hours. I've had friends do that for me. I've done that for friends. And it really is a joy. I mean, it it really is wonderful to be able to do that. So, you know, maybe you're a mom out there who's not a single mom, but you have a good friend who is single. You know, just say, hey, I'm going to bring you dinner tonight. Or, hey, um, Saturday afternoon, I would like to take your kids to the park with my kids. Or I'd like to take them to the zoo or whatever. It doesn't have to be a whole day's worth of help, even a couple hours here or a couple hours there. If you can fold that into your life, it makes an enormous difference in in that mom's life. What about asking for help from your kids? Is it fair to say to your 10 or 11, 12-year-old, you know what? You need to help with laundry and you have chores and I need you to help me with dinner. Is that a fair thing for moms to do? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Not only is it fair, I think it should be expected. I think that our children need to learn how to help, and they need to know that it takes all hands to run a home. So absolutely. And I think far younger than 10. I mean, my three-year-old does the silverware in the dishwasher when it's clean. So um, we don't let him get the steak knives, but everything else he can do just fine. So um, I I think figuring out what the age-appropriate tasks are for your children to be in involved in the running of their home and the cleaning of the home is really important. And, you know, home management is something that four out of five working moms cited as being a challenge and asking for help is a big way to overcome that. And I think asking for help from our kids is crucial. Uh, You know, personally, I think it's good for kids to learn how to work because work is important to life. You know, whether it's small chores or big chores. But one of the things I found is sometimes working mothers feel you know, kind of guilty because they're not doing it. So they should come in and do it and let their kids have an easy time. So it all gets really kind of complicated and messy. But I, you know, would like to reiterate that point. It's not only good for you as moms, it's really good for your kids. So this is a wonderful, wonderful book, um, Stretched Too Thin. My guest is Jessica Turner, who has a lot of experience with being stressed too thin. Um, I think that when any mom, whether she's a a single mom, a working outside the home mom, or a stay-at-home mom, knows exactly what you're talking about. So I encourage 
all moms to read the book, you know, whether they work outside the home or whether they don't, because there are beautiful golden nuggets in here for every mom out there. So Jessica, thank you for writing the book and thank you for coming on my podcast today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Points to ponder. One, pursue self care. Most mothers, whether they're working outside the home or staying home full time, put taking care of themselves at the bottom of the list when it comes to meeting family needs. I used to do this. We make sure our kids and our husbands have what they need, but usually we neglect our own physical, emotional, and spiritual health. We do this because we feel that we're serving our families better if we neglect ourselves. The problem is, in doing this, we give our families our second or third best because we don't have anything left over to give them. The old adage, a happy mom means happy kids, is 100% true. Now, obviously, I don't want you to go to overboard and think only of what you're going to do that day and neglect your kids and husband, but I'm talking about making self-care, an important part of your life. I have seen the toll that having mothers neglect themselves has on them and their families. Two, put self-care on your calendar, whether it's exercise, a massage, lunch with a friend, etc. Set aside time during the week where you are going to devote an hour, two, or three to just do something that you want to do. Otherwise, when someone asks if you're free to do something, you may say yes and forego your self-care if you don't have it written on your calendar. And friends, when my kids were little, I would have a teenager after school come over and watch my kids for an hour or two while I sat up in my bedroom and either prayed or read or did something calm. And I'm telling you, when I went downstairs to take care of my kids, I felt so much more refreshed and I had more to give them. Many good things come up during the week that can easily keep us from doing what we need to do for ourselves. So be aware of these and prepare to say no, even if you feel that good task or that time with the friend that you didn't plan on needs to be done. Say no. Three, drop the guilt. Mothers feel so guilty today about everything. And as a consequence, they don't take care of themselves because they feel guilty or self-indulgent. As I said, you don't want to go overboard and spend your whole day playing tennis or having lunch with your friends or at the gym or doing what you want to do. I'm talking about setting aside a few hours a week to take care of yourself. Guilt is often a mother's companion. So unhook yourself from it. Recognize when it's there and peel it off. Guilt acts like a ball and chain around you and never brings about good. So when you feel that guilty feeling moving in, put your fists up and beat it down. It hurts you and ultimately your family. Mothers who work outside of the home are particularly prone to guilt. See it? face it and knock it down. All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you. I want to interact with you. Remember, these podcasts are for you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker MD 
Or if you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Today, I have a couple of great questions. My first is from Raina. Hi, Meg. My second son seems to absolutely loathe his sister. He is 13 and she is 11. I can't remember a time in the past two years he's uttered a single word of kindness to her without snapping. Please help. He seems to hate that she is a girl more than anything. He hates that she's girly. When I've spoken to him, he definitely brings up incidences of injustice. I've learned to listen with empathy and not dismiss his feelings. Do you have any advice to get him just to speak in a normal, non-snappy tone and make eye contact with his sister and start forming a healthy relationship with her? I fear that he hates her and always will. I very much appreciate any advice that really targets this specific problem. Yes, Raina, I do. Your son is 13 terrible age, really hard age. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what he likes. He feels uncomfortable about his body. He feels uncomfortable about his schoolwork. That aside, however, it isn't an excuse for being mean to his sister. My sense is that you've let your son run the show. Here's what I would do if he were mine. I would sit down with him. I would, you and your husband sit down with him and say, listen, You have developed some really bad habits the way you talk to your sister. And here's the way it's going to go. First, we don't talk that way in our family. We don't use a snappy tone. We don't say mean things. We make eye contact with people. And from now on, dad and I expect you to speak more nicely to your sister. So when you set a rule, make it very clear, make only one rule and say, we expect no snarky talk and for you to be respectful and polite to your sister. Now, you can give him some examples of what you expect. Make him make a compliment to his sister once a day. And then you say to him, you're old enough to do this. And here's what's going to happen if you forget to do this or you fall back into being mean or snarky. You won't be able to go to soccer practice. You won't be able to have piano lessons. You'll have your cell phone taken away, whatever. Your son is getting away with this because he knows he can. And the way a child talks to siblings is really important in the home. So stop feeling sorry for him. Stop empathizing with him and crack down on his behavior. I promise he doesn't feel good about life when he's mean to his sister. When you get his mean speech under control, he'll feel a lot better about life. Now, when you set a consequence for his bad behavior, you better be ready to follow through. If he's mean to his sister and you say, okay, no soccer practice for a week, It's no soccer practice for a week. If you say you're going to take his cell phone away for a week, you take it away for a week. Don't give in after two or three days. You do that repeatedly after two months, and I'll guarantee you he is going to start being nice to his sister. Secondly, don't worry about him loathing his sister forever and ever. This is pretty normal, obnoxious teen boy behavior. The way he treats her now is not like the way he's going to treat her when he's in his early 20s. I promise you, kids do grow up. My second question is from Lena. 
Hello, Dr. Meeker. I need help with my 13-year-old daughter. I feel I'm failing as a mother. We don't have a great relationship, and I've always dreamt of having a great relationship with my daughter. Here are some of the things she does. She's very stubborn, doesn't listen to advice I give her. Two, my daughter seems to be a very curious person. She tried vaping in school. She was caught smoking weed. And when I asked her what she was doing, her response was, that's not a big deal. She doesn't understand. Three, I still feel she doesn't listen to me. I gave her a list of chores. She doesn't complete them on time. I remind her three, four, and five times. And four, I'm worried she's growing up too fast. I never had a great relationship with my own mother. I don't have sisters, and I'm not the type of person to share personal problems with others. Please help. Lena, here's what I would say. I think you're making excuses for your daughter. The fact that she is stubborn should work for her and not against her. Um, your daughter isn't a curious person. She's dabbling with very dangerous behavior and she's rebelling. This is very different than curiosity. The fact that she doesn't listen to you means that you are too easy on her. And you should worry about her growing up too fast because she's dabbling in some things that she really shouldn't be dabbling into. You wrote that you changed schools. Good for you. She's hanging around kids that are bad influence. Get her away from them. Here's what I would do. I would sit her down and say, listen, you're very stubborn and that's a wonderful thing. What I want to teach you to do is use your stubbornness for good and not bad. I think that when she fails to listen to you, she fails to do her chores, you shouldn't remind her three or four or five times. You sit her down, you say, here are your chores, and here's what's going to happen if you don't do those chores. I'm not going to remind you. I'm going to have a list on the fridge. And if you don't complete them, well, that's going to be really hard for you. You force me then to give you consequences like not being with your friends for a week or two, taking away your cell phone. Basically, what you're going to do here, Lena, is find what she really wants and you're going to take it away. If you give her a consequence she doesn't care about, she's going to keep on ignoring you. So I think you're being too lax. I think you're being too nice. You really got to put the hammer down here. She is growing up too fast. You need to talk to her about the fact that smoking and vaping is not okay for anybody in your home. And if she's found doing it, there's going to be another consequence too. She's not going to understand why it's bad for her. So don't waste your time trying to explain it. She's a 13-year-old kid. She thinks it's no big deal and you're not going to change her mind. All you need to do is set some firm rules, make some firm consequences, and whatever you do, don't renege on the consequences. If you say she doesn't have a cell phone for two weeks, she doesn't have a cell phone for two weeks. Give it a try. I really think it's going to help you. I also would encourage you, Lena, and also with Raina, check out my course, Discipline with Courage and Kindness. I think it's going to give you a lot of help, a lot of great suggestions, and most of all, it's going to make you feel confident in the decisions you make about disciplining your kids. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them in. Email me 
at askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, Jessica Turner. Check out her book and her website at themomcreative.com. Once again, that's themomcreative.com. She's also on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Just search for Jessica Turner on your internet browser. Let's recap my points to ponder. One, pursue self-care. Two, put time for your self-care on your calendar. And three, drop the guilt. So until next time, parents, remember, great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to episode 72, Stretched Too Thin. And thanks to you, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 2 million downloads. You can like Dr. Meeker on Facebook and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. As a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for her newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. 